0: You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network.
1: You're listening to the Pullbox Podcast the International Graphic Novel Book Club. Here are your hosts, Curtis Findlay and Michael Cohen.
2: Welcome back to another episode of the Pullbox Podcast. I'm your host, Curtis Findlay, and with me on this episode, we have a very special guest. His name is Sean Caremaker, and he just released his very first graphic novel called The Ghosts We Know. Welcome to the show, Sean. Thanks for being here. Hi there. How's it going? (laughs) I'm doing well, and uh, I really enjoyed your book. Um, for those of you who have never heard of this book before, um, it is, it's sort of a collection of, of thoughts and stories from, that you've collected over your lifetime, right? Mm -hmm. Um, put, put to picture as well and, and, uh, and yeah, and and produced in a really nice looking package. Um, why don't, can you tell us a little bit about just about the book itself? yeah
0: well it was just something like i i was working as a commercial artist on video games and i wasn't feeling super fulfilled in in my work so i started doing um like journal comics where i was trying to express myself by filling up sketchbooks with observations or feelings and um and slowly over time, I started showing these uh, journal comics to friends of mine or co-workers. And people enjoyed reading them. And they encouraged me to you know to keep on doing that. But also, I started doing a blog with those. Okay. Where I, I started holding myself to posting um, two single-page uh, comic stories every week. Okay. And that exercise got me further and further into... Um, this form of, like, storytelling with words and pictures combined. Right. At that time, it was a bit of a bit more difficult for me to understand how to do these things. But because I had started drawing uh, comics and doing more personal or self-expressive comics, I was then more interested in researching those types of comics because I'd grown up reading superhero comic stories and the typical things that you would expect from, you know a kid who reads comics. So now I was trying to research work that would inspire me in my own um, work that I was doing now. So a lot of it was like, uh, what we talked about earlier, Will Eisner and and Harvey P. Carr and things like this that like, especially in my earlier comics that are not featured in the book, you can see those influences. Right. And, and I was also really interested in the work of Hunter Thompson. Oh yeah. In the sense that like, I wanted to tell true stories, but I wanted to tell them in a way that like they're curated and they're made more interesting. They're semi fictional, but the elements of
2: truth that are at the core of the story are are the most important thing. Right. Yeah. There's one, <coughs> one of your stories in here stands out in particular <laughs> in that style um what is it called my life as a leaf <laughs> right
0: yeah well that one was an interesting thing because it just started out as a true story where it, it's about reminiscing about a time when i was living in Shimanus yeah. where i was sitting at the edge of the water imagining you know going far away and sneaking onto the boats that were loading at the edge of the wharf there yeah. just because i was pretty disillusioned with living in a small town and i didn't feel like i fit in there but then it turns into this, like, self-exploratory comic, and it features, like, elements of truth. Like, the old man in the story is is based on a real guy who built trails and lived as a hermit in Vancouver Island. Yep. And then some of it is about...
2: Who's in another story in... Yeah, he's in,
0: he's in, he's in another story, and I've actually done, like, paintings and sculptures of this guy. It's okay. just something that, like... He's kind of an urban legend, or but a, but a real person from when I was a kid. Okay. So it's, it's something that, like, I kind of... For some stories, they're kind of tapestries of different memories and things that I'm thinking about. And sometimes they seem more surreal and fantastical, and sometimes they're more based on directly true events that have happened. Right. Um, but even within that story, even though it seems like, you know, it's way out there as far as, like, you know, an implausible story, it has, it's anchored by like little moments of, of truth.
2: It is. Yes.
0: Uh, and that's kind of, that's kind of what I feel is important with my comics. Initially I was, I was trying to do, um, like direct, you know, just outright fictional stories, but I just found that like, I wasn't very good at it or they just (laughs) didn't seem like they didn't have any kind of an emotional, uh, connection for me. So, right. I always try to have elements of truth in,
2: in the stories. Um, let's, uh, let's back up a little bit and talk about where you, who you are and where you came from. Um, you, there are a lot of stories in your book about your childhood growing up like in the nineties in Crofton. Yeah. And, uh, is that where you were born? Yeah. Well, that's
0: the first place where I lived, like, um, my parents got a plot of land out near Crofton in an undeveloped subdivision. Uh, and when I was a young kid, we were building the house down there and there weren't a lot of families living down there. Okay. I think I already had tendencies towards being introverted but living out in the woods, you know, kind of away from everything. There was no stores or anything within walkable distance. It was kind of um, important to me getting into art yeah, I turned my closet into a little studio and I started drawing my own comics and and basically like, you know, building board games, doing comics, like working on art all the time. My parents were pretty encouraging that I do that, and so I just went full out and that was pretty much all I did when I was a kid. Hmm. And and uh and I think that like there's a lot of scenes of the forests and 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 scenes based in nature because of that yeah in my comic and I think it's like it's a huge influence on my work and I think also like growing up in a small town made you know the people there some of the you know kind of redneck people and things like that they further added to that sense of alienation that that this book features
2: yes yeah um tell us a little bit about um You, in a lot of your stories, when you're a child, you portray yourself as a bird. It was
0: kind of a joke, really. Like I, I started drawing myself like that because I remember I used to wear, I had, I'd grown really tall when I was a kid. Like when I was in, in like maybe grade seven or something like that, I'd grown to almost six feet tall. Mm -hmm. So I had hand-me-down pants that were quite short. On my legs and, my, <laughs> and I would have like You know a bit of space Between the bottom of my pants And my um, Yeah And your ankle and my, yeah. and my ankles And and remember the kids Would call me chicken legs Oh no And I remember it, I just sort of like um, I remember that bothering me Or feeling self conscious about it mm-hmm. and, and I think that like I would walk with a slouch And I had a lot of, I was like a pretty nervous kid And I think that I wanted to make myself Into this bird character because of that, but also when I, when I started drawing myself that way, I was thinking in terms of like, um, taking the ideas that, that companies like Disney or, or, um, like uh, Warner Brothers cartoons, how they take these anthropomorphized animals and, and use them as more of a brand recognition. Yeah. I wanted to use, do something like that, but in, for a more personal comic
2: uh, yeah. And that certainly stands out. Um, and cause that style of bird pops up all, all over the place in your work, not only as yourself, but as you know, the, the voice that speaks to you and you know, that, that kind of stuff. So. Yeah.
0: I think that, I think I would always sort of identified with birds or seen them as symbols in my life.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Like there's the one story where there's a bird that falls out of the sky with no head. Right. And that's, that's actually a true story where I was walking through a field and this bird fell out of the sky and landed in the exact spot I was standing in this field, but it had no head. And it was just something that like had me wondering what that means. And then, um, and I guess I'd always kind of like, I'd felt like I'd maybe walk like a bird or or I could identify with birds. Like, my my left foot, all the bones are fused together, so I can't bend it. Oh. And as a result, I I always had this kind of, like, slight limp with my walk, and it was more pronounced when I was a kid. Hmm. So I felt like maybe I walked a little bit in the way that a bird does.
2: Interesting. Yeah,
0: so I, I guess I sort of, like, it just seemed that if I was going to anthropomorphize myself, it would be... Um,
2: a good idea thing, to do yeah. it as a bird. <laughs> um, you say you worked uh, a lot in video games. Yeah. What got you into that industry?
0: Well, it was just basically like when I was growing up, it was clear that I was I was suitable for art jobs. Like I was always doing art ever since I was a kid. Yeah. And through high school, I was always, you know, the art guy. And I always did. I worked on the sets for the theater and, and did sculptures and I worked I did some work for large um large displays in the West Edmonton Mall like giant sculpture displays oh really and so when it came down to trying to figure out what kind of work I could do for a living the video game industry was booming in Vancouver yeah and I knew some people who were coming out to work in that field so I basically just thought it would be a good way for me to keep from doing other types of work that were not art related but it wasn't necessarily that I was
2: like Like you didn't um, want to work at Starbucks yeah I didn't want to work
0: at Starbucks and, and plus like you know it's a it's an it's a pretty exciting new type of industry it wasn't it was never really that I was a gamer or anything like that like growing up my brothers mostly played the video games and I kind of didn't really get too involved in that yeah but it was more just like it seemed like a great option for me to, to take the skills that I've been developing and doing sculpture and like working on my own drawings and different ideas and apply them to something that I could make a living. Right.
2: So what did you do? What, what was your role in, in, um, in the video game industry? Now
0: over the years I've done like everything from 3d modeling to, um, uh, mo- uh, texture art and concept art mm-hmm. and special effects and, and, uh, and um,
2: all 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 sorts of different things related to the art side of games, mm. and now you're trying to uh to get out of that industry and step more full time into your art yeah, like
0: now that I've started working on comics, it's a pretty all engrossing type of thing mm-hmm. like I'm planning to try to make my next book within a year or so um And so it's just a matter of, like, how am I going to find the time to do this if I'm doing all sorts of other things? So I've got a a job where I'm going to be working three days a week and then devoting the other days towards making the comic. In an ideal world, I would just be working on the comic, but it's hard to make
2: a living doing uh, (laughs) autobiographical comics. (laughs) Well, especially here in Vancouver. Totally. Yeah. Um, In one of your stories, you mention that you have been kind of self publishing comics since you were ten. Yeah.
0: Like I mean I took I took a bit of a um, a break when I got started working in commercial art just because I I sort of you know, when I was getting started I felt uncomfortable in it, plus I was trying to move up the ladder and, you know, fit into this awkward system. Yeah. So I kind of put it aside, seeing it as kind of an impractical thing. Um I drawn comics all the way through my childhood into being a young teenager. Yeah. But then when you get to be a young teenager, you realize that like girls don't think that comics are cool, nobody really <laughs> thinks that comics are cool and there's there's like not a strong future in it. You know, that's kind of the perception that society has.
2: Yeah, that was, you know, it's only recently that that's starting to change. Yeah. Yeah. And that,
0: and then like starting to do them as an adult, it was more just like I wanted to do expressive art. I just felt a, a strong desire to to express myself and I'd grown up reading comics, so comics seemed like a natural way to express myself. Yeah. If I was more interested in like fine arts, like if I'd grown up interested in Pablo Picasso or something like <laughs> right. that, I'd probably be trying to do that. But like comics was just when I was a kid, comics were the height of art and that's all I knew of art growing up in a small town I, I would you know go through the antique shops and 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 all the junk shops and try to find whatever comics I could and, and to me it was amazing that people could do that mm-hmm. and I always aspired to to do that and then growing up society tells you that it's not cool and it's not practical so I kind of like <laughs> put it on the shelf until I got older
2: yeah um so you're the art in here is so unlike your typical comic style art. It leans more to the fine art side of, of the comics world, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us a little bit about the, your style um, and your medium and, and the process you go, because um, you have a very unique way of, of creating your stories.
0: Yeah, well, what I do is I, I started working on large scrolls where the original artwork for the book is done as these, like, big panoramics or vertical scrolls.
2: And how big are we talking?
0: Like, some are, like, 30 feet long. Wow. So, like, initially, I got interested to do this type of thing because I was, um, I found Will Eisner's work. And I found it, like, you know, only four or five years ago, I discovered his, like, big open compositions Mm -hmm. where he... He'll work with all of the elements within the page to guide the reader around the page, and I'd never seen that before.
2: Yeah.
0: So yeah. it was pretty revolutionary in my mind, even though people have been well aware of his work since the nineteen forties. <laughs> um, but he
2: wasn't and, doing that style in the forties. No, in the
0: seventies, more so. Yeah. But like some of the splash pages of the Spirit were yeah. pretty uh, incredible too. So when I saw that, I was like, "How the hell did I never see this?" And <laughs> and and I. I don't think that my work really looks like that too much, but more just this idea that you don't need to use panel borders was like a, yeah. was a, was a real revolution in my mind. And then, and then slowly um, I eliminated all the panel borders from my comics, and then over time I, I started trying to design the two-page spreads so that it was one piece of art. And then eventually I started seeing the story as one big thing, So that I could do all the art as one large piece of paper and then split it up for a book. But then it was also because when I started self-publishing my comics, I started getting a lot of art shows. So I wanted to have original art that looked really interesting to hang on a gallery wall. Yeah,
2: I uh, contacted your publisher because I wanted to get a different book for review. Mm -hmm. And then they sent me this one Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably because they saw that my... Mailing address was in Vancouver. That's what yeah. I'm assuming. So, uh, and then I f- started following you on Facebook and found out about your show yeah. in Chinatown, your book launch. So we, my, my wife and I went, mm-hmm. and it was just amazing to see, um, yeah, your art on the wall because it's the same as in the book, but in a completely different way. Yeah, you experience it in such a different, a different fashion when you see it um, hanging on the wall. Uh, rather than in your book form, because it is the entire big picture. Yeah. You're not broken up into pages.
0: That's partly my intention, too, is like... I often think that, like, art shows can be kind of boring, and I didn't want it where somebody who already has the book will come there and just see exactly what they've, you know, already have in the form of a book, but yeah. maybe in a larger size. I think that, like, that way somebody who has already read the stories, can read it in an entirely unexpected way. Right. And they would enjoy both things. And in some cases, somebody might see the artwork in this form before they even are aware that there is a book. Mm-hmm. And then for them, they would only imagine that it could exist in this large panoramic format. But then it can also be a book. Yeah. And, yeah. and the book has an entirely different feeling because you read it yourself, and it's, you know, more intimate. But then with the large pieces of artwork in a gallery, there's several people walking around and and you're looking at you can see it from a distance or up close and it's it's just a totally different experience. Which it is. Just I spent so long working on this art. I think it's kinda nice to get more mileage out of it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so do you so some of these big pages, um do you have to lay it out, like break the, the huge canvas into like nine blocks of nine or whatever, and arrange your, 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 your panels or your your thoughts into those blocks so that they translate to page?
0: Well, it's interesting. I kind of like, it took me a while to figure out a method that would work for making it uh, for both the large format art and the book format. Yeah. What I do now is I, I design all of my pages as like folded eight and a half by eleven sheets, just because it's easy to work with. Okay. So I I basically plot out two page spreads in that format, and I write out, I I complete my story that way so that I I'm viewing it very much, in the size and format of a book. Yeah. And then, I scan it all in, and then while I have it in Photoshop, I add the text. Okay. Um, just because it's easy to work with that way. And then I lay out all of the pages into the format that I imagine that I want them to be in. So, like, if it's going to be a scroll, I lay them all out side by side. Right. And then I use a projector to project it onto large sheets of paper. Oh, okay. And then I redraw it and kind of, like, make more of a flow between the page spreads so that it kind of has, like, you know, this borderless quality to right. the whole piece of art. And, um, and then I... And then I add the lettering uh, on top of that, so it's kind of like going back and forth
2: between like a book and a large piece of art. Mm mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think um, a lot of times the way you've laid it out, your it your eye is carried over to the next page. Um, the at the very end of your book, there's a big. I guess it's a scroll yeah. of of. Um, just like all of these old people walking through the forest mm-hmm. and your eye is drawn over and over again to keep on turning the page because you all the action keeps on moving forward mm-hmm. um and so it's a really neat technique to to just travel through the forest and then into the city yeah um uh, because you feel like you're forced to to move on
0: yeah and with that it's kind of it was kind of like i want to achieve the same um, kind of techniques as, as movies do. Yeah. Where they might create like a long panning shot to kind of, uh, show the passing of time or sort of show like a journey. Yes. Um, and, and that particular piece was done as like a three foot high by 30 foot scroll. That oh. so it was, it took me like four and a half months to do that one, but mm-hmm. it was like, I, i feel like it was worth it it's about the lifespan of human beings and it shows like old age and death and then it shows um children who are coming up from the ashes of their of their grandparents right and and um starting a new generation and building
2: society in the image Mm -hmm. that had been set for them with meanwhile the just the the spirit of the previous generation kind of looming over them as well yeah
0: yeah that's kind of what I wanted to show is that like we're we're sort of like haunted in a way by the past that's set before us like we break free eventually when we sort of figure out who we are but as we're sort of like as we're sort of growing up we're kind of like molded so much by this like layers and layers of society and history that's come before us. And that's a positive and a negative thing. And are these the ghosts? Yeah. Like, I think it's like, um, I think that ghosts can be kind of a metaphor for a lot of different things. And that's kind of an overall theme in the book. Like Mm -hmm. many of the ghosts are just people that are marginalized or invisible some of the ghosts are actually ghosts, like ghost stories, an unexplained yeah. uh, phenomenon, and some are are kind of like the our history, yeah, and the things that that have come before us.
2: Yeah, and a lot of it is, um, because this is a very personal work. Yeah, a lot of these ghosts are your stories. Yeah, and they keep on coming back. Yeah, to you to to. Uh, to um i don't know, keep you moving forward and and de- defining who you are. Yeah. Yeah, you get very personal with a lot of the stuff in here. Um mm-hmm. just with uh, uh the stories you tell about your childhood and your um growing up there like there's some bullies you encountered in, in school and um you you mention a few times your parental expectations. They, he, your dad's trying to get you into sports a lot and that kind yeah. of thing and and you Never, you know, you didn't do well in school because you were too concentrated on your your art and, and yeah. this, you know, hiding the sculptures in your desk and such. Um, is it? Uh, do you find it difficult to put yourself out there in such a personal way, or is it, uh, is that kind of what you? Is that a, is that a release for you in some way?
0: I didn't find it difficult to do it at first when I didn't know that anybody was going to be interested in reading it. <laughs> like when I first started doing my own stories yeah it was something that was more of a personal journal that i might have shared with like friends of mine but i remember when i first was asked to do an art show like i'd released one comic on my own and and basically released it at a house party where i just sold it to my friends or gave it to my friends and then that comic reached the hands of this gallery called the gam gallery okay which is a small artist run center And I never really pursued galleries or gone to gallery shows before. But then they asked me if I could do like a second comic and do a release there where I would display the artwork. And then it was like kind of, then I was confronted with the self-consciousness of like, they want me to make another book like this, which I really wasn't expecting. Yeah. I was kind of just thinking, I'll just do the one book and get it out of my system. Then they were like, oh, when are you doing your next book? Can we do this art show? And then I was like, you know, there's going to be fine art people there, which I feel probably are <laughs> kind of alienating. And I'm going to be showing personal stories in a comic book style. I thought that people were going to think I was a little bit ridiculous. Hmm. And I remember when I did the opening for that show, I, I got really drunk because I felt really uncomfortable. <laughs> and it was fine. Everybody was really nice. And, and people have been really receptive. And, like, I find that by putting these personal stories out there, I find that I relate to people more than, than finding myself alienated. Mm -hmm. Like people will often say, like, oh, you know, I've had a similar experience, or, you know, this story, I found it really touching, or something like that.
2: And that's totally true. I think um, because there's a good variety of stories told here of, you know, childhood and adult stories. Um, I know I've definitely related to some of them too, and um, I think in particular, because. A lot of it takes place in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Um, you're pulling out uh, places and names and things and things that I identify with as well, and mm-hmm. that I have connections with too. So it's neat to to get that kind of tone and feeling. Are the uh, are the stories in this book arranged in the order that you created them? No. Um, basically, the way that I constructed the
0: book was a lot of these stories were originally released in the form of, like, self-published comic uh, comic book magazines. And they all were kind of, like, relevant to each other because they're all autobiographical. Um, but I... Uh, later on, when I was asked to put this book together, I started, like, rearranging these stories and, um, and like, putting it more towards a structure and trying to create a flow so i added more content that i wanted to kind of bridge between these stories and kind of tie it all together okay to make it so that it wasn't just like a um a typical like collected volume but more more like a somewhere between a collected volume and a graphic novel yeah so i took quite a lot of time just like an obsession with just like Organizing the stories into a flow and figuring out what was needed to complete the story, Mm -hmm. which is kind of like a backwards way of doing it. But like now, now I'm working on a new book, and it's more like I'm thinking of the the whole big book, right? And like that as a true graphic novel. But this one was kind of like awkward in a way. While I was making it, it was it was like I was learning how to make
2: comics okay while i was making the book i guess that's how you learn right yeah totally (laughs) so this new one the new book that you're working on now is it going to be similar in style to this one with the same sort of short one or two page maybe a few more pages stories no it'll be more like a larger
0: story like it'll be like an overall story but it'll it'll do the same thing where it jumps back and forth in time okay but it'll be more of a cohesive like I'm writing it all out in rough form so that it's designed to be a story in three parts Mm -hmm. and it'll, it'll, it has a bit more of a, of a a traditional structure
2: to it. Okay. Um, how did you get hooked up with Conundum Press?
0: Um, well there was an artist called Julian Lawrence that I met when I was at VanCath. And he had his books published through them, uh, Drippy the News Boy. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, and he introduced me to Andy Brown. Like and He sent Andy Brown my work, and Andy Brown liked it, I guess. And he contacted me through email, and then we just sort of like... He was very direct, and he was like, do you want to do a book? And I was like, yes, I've been planning <laughs> to do this book. And so we worked together on... On editing it and putting it together and it's been a really good experience
2: good i think i can't think of a better publisher suited for your style yeah it, it, it works so well with their catalog of books definitely yeah uh well that's really neat to see i am very excited for your future i mm-hmm. think that it's going to be a very interesting one for you you'll definitely uh have my attention when, when you publish some more cool <laughs> books for sure yeah, really, really neat. So I, yeah, I encourage anybody listening to check out this book, The Ghosts We Know by Sean Caremaker. And, uh, yeah, you can order it on Amazon or anywhere. Basically get your comic book store to, to bring in a few copies because mm-hmm. it's, uh, especially if you are a little bit more into the memoir style or something a little bit more introspective or existential, like this is, uh, this will be right up your alley. Um yeah it's uh it's definitely far back from the superhero genre but that's that's what that's so great about comics is that it's so wide in variety yeah um thank you sean for for uh talking with me today thank you so much and we appreciate it yeah all the best with the future yeah i'll
0: do my best
2: more Pullbox Podcast episodes, you can check out PullboxPodcast.com. To submit a reader poll, uh, you can email thepullboxpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us at Twitter and on Instagram
1: at Pullbox Podcast. you can follow me, Curtis, on Instagram at Curtis Bidley. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Arkwolf, A-R-K-W-U-L-F you can you can also find all of our other great podcasts over at thunderquack.com and uh, uh, that's the home of the thunderquack podcast network of which we are proudly a part and uh, and if you want to help support all of our podcasts at thunderquack you can do that by heading to patreon.com/thunderquack and uh, and and you can you can pledge your support over there every dollar helps but uh, if you're a Pullbox box fan and supporter Then you'd definitely be interested in the $20 level Which allows you to get all three episodes of the Pullbox podcast All three of our books as one super long episode uh, Right at the beginning of the month As opposed to having to wait for the individual episodes to be released So you can find all that at patreon.com slash thunderquack And all of our other podcasts at thunderquack.com